Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It's me, your host, Dave Wakeman. Uh, Today's episode is a replay, the audio version of my 2023 Numbers to Know webinar. One of the most popular things I've been doing for the last few years. I started it in the pandemic year of 2020. Um, I find 10 um, trends that I think are going to be of high impact or that have kept showing up over and over and over again in my research. And I share them with some context around what's going on. This year, we talk about consumer spending, uh, including uh, the 60% decline in GDP expectations in Australia uh, and what that means. That's an interesting case because I want it, I start early with it um, and it gives you some understanding of what numbers really mean. Um, we talk about 63% of U.S. households want to take a vacation in the next six months and what that means, including how inflation is going to impact that and what that means for you. We talk about the 30% increase in global travel and how that's still less than in 2019. We look at the $17 billion investment that Netflix is making in streaming content. We talk about the return to work policies and their impact on people's abilities to um, buy tickets or their desire to buy tickets. And we talk about uh, attendance numbers from around the world and a lot more. This is like a really great uh, webinar I do and I find that people find a lot of value from it because uh, we get into video games, we get into all kinds of crazy stuff. Before I turn it over to me, I want to remind you to check me out at Intix. Uh, Booking Protect will be there. Dave will be there. Uh, it's in Seattle. Seattle being where I was born, or in Bremerton, right across the Sound. It is from the 23rd to the 26th of January. So get there. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm looking to check out the new venue, the Climate Pledge Arena, because that's the home of the Key Arena. And I spent many, many, many nights at the Key Arena. I'm going to see some friends. Uh, it's going to be a great thing. I'm going to be hanging out with the folks from Booking Protect. It's going to be awesome. Um, make sure you check out my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. Uh, get the Talking Tickets newsletter, TalkingTickets.substack.com. That is my weekly foray into tickets. Also get the Business of Value. That is my weekly uh, strategy note that I send out on Sundays. That's probably the most uh, pers- up close and personal thing you get. That's BusinessofValue.substack.com. Check out my friends at Booking Protect. Like I said, we're going to be at Intix, but check them out, BookingProtect.com. Uh, a global or a cover genius company, uh, new technology, new solutions, new ways to continue to give your guests world-class customer service to create revenue for your organization. Uh, there is some incredible data around uptake, around people's buying habits, um, all kinds of stuff that you can learn, but check them out at bookingprotect.com. Uh, But before I go any further, let me turn it over to myself so you can get the replay of the 2023 Numbers to Know webinar on the Business of Fun. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, Thank you for being here live or thank you for listening at some point or watching even at some point later in time. Uh, This is my I'm Dave and this is my annual uh, Numbers to Know. Uh, 2023 numbers to know how to sell more tickets in 2023. Uh, There is going to be a lot of talk about marketing and strategy numbers. Hopefully there will be some action ideas for you. Uh, Some things you can take away and start using immediately. Some things for you to think about and ponder 
between now and the start of 2023. Um, and hopefully it will be fun and amusing at the same time. This is what I aim for is for it not to be uh, la- laborious as the term might be. Um, so hopefully this is going to be fun. Again, I have opened up the chat. Uh, if you are live, then you will get a chance to use the chat. If you are on recording, not so much, uh, but that's the benefit of being live. Uh, let me start out this morning by setting the stage for you. We're going to go through a few things here. We are going to talk about this. Right then, well, it would not be a presentation without some uh, technical difficulties for, at the very start. So it goes. But I want to set the stage today. Uh, this is my annual list that I began doing in 2020 uh, when the pandemic first uh, had us on lockdown. And oh, there we go. Okay. It, and I just needed something to keep me busy keep me preoccupied, uh, something for me to think about. Because as we, um, I think we all remember, it was pretty depressing at the time. Uh, It was pretty, um, it sucked, really. So uh, I started doing this in 2020 as a way to kind of joke around with people, have something to do, um, find something useful to do um, to keep my mind preoccupied. Uh, It's a focused look ahead, right? I a lot of times we get caught in trends or the way things have always been done. We can be stuck in the past. We can be be backwards looking or just like really focused like right here in the moment. Uh, this is an opportunity to take an hour or so together to look ahead. Uh, it's not a narrative journey by any stretch of the imagination. There are 10 numbers. Um, they don't have a theme that holds them together, actually. Um, they they probably do, but it's not necessarily narrative-based. It's more like a pick-your-own-adventure if you were a kid where you, you go, oh, this is an interesting thing. I want to take path A, turn to page 87. That's what this is more than anything else. But the big thing I hope that comes out of this today is that it becomes actionable. You catch on to something that you latch on to an idea and you take action on it. Because all these ideas without action they are relatively meaningless. They might be um, fun to know, but you don't necessarily um, gain much without that. So without further ado, let's get right into the numbers because I want to make sure that we um, keep this to about 60 to 75 minutes with the Q&A. So I'm gonna start out with number one. And number one is all about consumer spending. The subtitle for this is good, bad, or something else. And that's sort of what the number tells us. Um, What are the customers doing right now? Um, We're looking at numbers. Customer spending growth in the U.S. in 2023, according to the Fitch Research Service, is going to be about 0.9%. So that's less than 1%. Um, That is not pretty. That is not great. Because we think about inflation, even though there was a report that came out this morning, even as I was prepping this about inflation in the U.S. kind of hit a wall and started to slow down very rapidly in November, which is great. Uh, but customers are still spending and they're spending even slightly more in the U.S. Uh, how does that compare to other nations? 
Well, in the UK, the number is 0.70%. And we are seeing signs in the UK and Europe that they are starting to slide into a recession. Um, with the data from November showing the indications that in Europe and the UK, um, it could be a year of recession. But right now, what we're seeing is, again, just like the U.S., we're seeing slight amounts, a small amount of growth. So that's very encouraging because at least um, we're not seeing declines in spending. Um, gross domestic product, the GDP in France, is growing 0.5%. Uh, again, a lot of years we see maybe 2% or so. So this just shows you that there is a weakening of the economy, but it's not as bad as people had originally thought. So that's great to see. We look at China. China is growing at 6.5%. Now, I put the asterisk here because we don't know how long zero COVID policies are going to last. Um, and we don't know um, what the impact of the of a slowing an economy and public unrest is going to have on the Chinese citizens. Um, what we have seen over the past few weeks is that there has become an easing uh, in China of the zero COVID policies. And that started when the uh, Chinese citizens saw uh, World Cup matches where people were running around without masks, masks. And they were like, wait, what in the world is happening here? Uh, this is insane. Why are we still suffering the uh, through uh, masks and zero COVID? And they, that led to a period of unrest that seems to have lessened um, China's insistence on a zero COVID policy. But at the same time, now we're seeing a pretty strong wave of COVID infections in China. You know, so it's always a mixed bag here. And then finally, let's look at Australia, because Australia, another market that I spend a lot of time talking with people in, um, this one was pretty, uh, just to show you the stark challenge of what we're dealing with, their GDP, their gross domestic product is dropping 60%. Uh, and I did that because I want you to think as we work our way through these numbers, how you can use numbers or how numbers can be manipulated. So the 60% drop in GDP in Australia uh, means that in 2023, the Australian economy is expected to grow 1.5% uh, as opposed to 2.5% at the earlier projections for the year 2023. So that is a 60% drop, uh, but it and it's at, attributed to lower consumer spending. But the thing you want to always ask about these numbers is what's the context around them? And so that's the reason that I put the 60% drop in there, because I thought that was interesting to show people that the numbers can be manipulated to tell you a story that's either uh, rosier or more alarming. And the context is always super important. So what does this mean? What do we need to know? Nope. Well, there are signs of growth around the world. We saw them, we see them in the U US, we see them in the UK, uh, we see them in Australia, France, and China. You know, and that's very encouraging because we have heard for over and over throughout the last six months, if not longer about the potential for a recession, about how the the recession is an impending recession. It's not all puppies and rainbows because there have been a lot of layoffs. There are, uh, is a cost of living crisis in England. Um, France is fighting inflation as hard as they can, 
but there are still signs of growth, and that's very promising. Um, and that's leading us to mixed messages. It's what do we, what can we really think about and take action on? Um, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it somewhere in the middle? And what do we do with that? Um, those mixed messages are probably always there. The thing about it is, is like we have to put our numbers and our needs in context. And that's always the most important thing about thinking about numbers and thinking about any kind of strategy you have is understanding what success looks like, uh, what matters to you, and helping clarify what it is you need to see. Because the mixed messages always exist. And that leads me to this, the point of it depends. You know, we see these mixed messages, these signs of growth. We see confusing signals everywhere. And that's just how numbers and life and any economic environment is. Because even in a very hot, uh, fast moving, uh, lots of opportunity market, you can see some areas where think people are suffering. You can see mixed messages and signals, and you can be doing extremely well in one area and be struggling in another one. You know, so always keep in mind um, that it depends because we can find the good or the bad in any situation. So number two, it's holidays. Um, where do you want to visit? I have a strong, strong desire to go to uh, New Zealand next year. Uh, I have plans to go to London and Sydney again, uh, plus some of my regular New York places or U.S. places like New York and Miami, uh, even uh, looking like Seattle and L.A. at some point next year. So lots of for me, lots of travel, both business and personal. Um, but I wanted to look at holidays and I wanted to see what the vacation landscape looks like, uh, the travel landscape. So let's see. Um, my vacation mood is on. That was a quote I found, and it's from I don't know who. Uh, it's an unknown quote, but I thought it was pretty appropriate for what we're going to talk about to today. And the first number to look at is that 63% of Americans plan on taking a vacation in the next six months. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, that means two-thirds of the country is planning on going somewhere. Um, but it begs a question, right? Why are the people, why is the, the other 37% of people not going on vacation? And they're not planning one. 40% of those people say it's due to inflation and rising costs. Uh, that seems reasonable because, again, we're seeing, we've seen inflation rates 7, 8, 9% all over the world. Uh, things have gotten a lot more expensive. Um, but there is an impact on vacation spending. Uh, people who are planning, that 63% of Americans that are planning a vacation, um, they are budgeting more. What does that mean? It means $1,000 more. And that's a pretty significant increase in budgeting. Um, so people are recognizing that things are going to cost more when they get there. And they're still planning on going. And that's a very good uh, thing to know because it, depending on where you are and what you're offering, um, you can take advantage of that. But along with the vacation numbers, there's a 25% drop in business travel. And again, uh, businesses are citing inflation and rising costs as a challenge for um, sending people on the road. And I'm going to come to this again in a few minutes because we're going to talk about trade shows, um, you know, and gatherings of that nature. Because I think combined with this number and some of the expenses of a trade show, there's going to be opportunities there to think differently and apply ways for people to get together. Uh, 
but there will be. So there's 63% of Americans that are going to plan on a vacation. There's 40% not planning because of inflation. A 25% drop in business travel, but a 30% drop in, in growth in international travel. Not a drop, a growth, a point upward. Now, the only challenge was that is it's still lower than 2019, but it's an encouraging sign that people are getting out, um, wanting to be part of the world again, uh, taking some of those long held off vacations, um, you know, visiting people again. And we're going to, we have more stats about visiting people and what their intentions are as we go forward. So, but keep in mind that there's a 30% projected growth in international travel next year, still a little below 2019, uh, but it's going to offset some of the drop in business travel and the fact that Americans at least are planning on vacations is going to help uh, also mask some of the drop in business travel. So what's this mean to us? Yeah. Uh, first off, it means people are moving around, just like I said before, um, especially for personal travel. People are taking vacations. They're taking trips. They're putting um, they're taking some of those put off international travel. Uh, it's not like people are st staying away, um, that they're scared. They're not put off by cost. We saw the thousand dollar increase in budgeting for vacations for Americans um, that people understand that they need to spend some money. Uh, the people who are not traveling due to cost stuff, that's an opportunity because just because they're they're putting off a vacation or travel due to uh, cost of living or inflation, it doesn't mean that they don't want to do anything. So maybe there's an opportunity if you are selling some sort of uh, experience to provide a staycation type experience or to uh, give them some of the best that they would get in visiting a foreign city or uh, going on a vacation at home, giving them a, a chance to be taken away, swept away in their in their home market. And that can present an uh, opportunity for you. Um, and the business market, again, we're going to come back to this with the um, idea of trade shows in just a little bit. But the business market, if they're not traveling, they're still going to need to entertain clients and potential pro prospects, um, still need to reward their staff. Um, and if they're not traveling to certain things, maybe there's a way to recreate some of that in-person stuff that they would get from business travel, again, in their home market. It's something to consider as we go forward. So think, you know, on the one side, business travels down. On the other side, the people who would be normally do business travel, they're probably looking for ways to engage people, uh, to connect with people, um, to provide some sort sort of value that they might in person. Uh, so you know, so there's all kinds of different ways to approach that. Um, again, if you have questions, just drop them in the Q&A, and I'll try to get to as many as I can at the very end of the program. But let's move on to number three, and let's talk about the streaming wars. Uh, when you deal with sports and entertainment, the streamers will save us. That's what I keep hearing. Um, and what, is, what does it mean? Streaming, is it complicated or is it not complicated? Well, let's, let's look at this. Um, will streaming giants change the right games? Rights game in live sports and broadcasting? Who knows? <laughs> That's really the question. But what we do see is we we do see some uh, sign points. And the first thing I wanted to point to, this is number number three, is $17 billion. Because that's what Netflix is going to invest in new content in 2023. That doesn't look a lot like pulling back to me. That looks like a um, doubling down on scripted programming that they control. 
And that's important to know because Apple spent $2.5 billion on their deal with Major League Soccer. Um, is that going to be a wise decision? That's still up for debate. But what it is, is it, it's a new investment and it's unique that Apple and MLS are partnering on a global distribution deal. And that could have positives and negatives, like like, like almost everything. And Disney, Disney is investing in profitability. Uh, they have made a tremendous number of investments for the Disney Plus platform uh, internationally, like in, with Indian Cricket uh, and some other sports properties. The thing is, though, is we don't know what this investment in profitability is going to look like and how it's going to change Disney's uh, role in the streaming wars, and especially when it comes to whether or not the streaming wars are going to change the way that rights are negotiated and sold in sports and live entertainment. So what should we think? Well, first off, I don't think that the content wars are over. They're probably far from over. I do imagine we will see some consolidation of streaming services. I mean, when AMC Plus and all of these different uh, AMC Plus, Discovery Plus, uh, Shoot, like every channel seems to have a plus. Uh, that's too much, right? I would imagine at a certain point we're going to see um, a, a narrowing down of con of streaming services um, where there's five or six that are able to survive. And until then, we're probably not going to see these content wars um, go away. Um, the second thing is Netflix equation. Think about this when you're thinking about what you are marketing and selling. Uh, for for $19.99 in U.S. dollars, you get the premium Netflix subscription. And as part of that $19.99 premium subscription, you have access to $17 billion of content just from 2023 alone. That doesn't take into account all the investments in content that Netflix has made over the last few years. And if you talk, look at HBO and HBO Max, it's a similar, probably a, a close equation. Uh, Disney, again, a similar equation. Uh, all of the streamers. And I lay out this number because it's important to understand that as like when you think about why people won't go to a game or go to a show or go to a concert or um, spend the night at a theater, any wherever you are in the ticketing world or the ticketing ecosystem, don't think about it just because, oh, we have, you know, at home, big TVs uh, with a refrigerator right next to us or anything else. Think about the quality and the quantity of the content that's being delivered by these streaming services. And then think about the ways that people find value from these things, because they, are, this is a reflection of why people are choosing these options. It's not about competition. It's about alternatives. And then Apple and MLS, I jump right to brand awareness. You know, what impact positive or negative is Apple and MLS going to have? Uh, Apple, no problem with brand awareness, but is being behind the paywall on Apple TV Plus going to be a, a detriment to MLS, or is it going to help elevate their brand awareness? And the big thing that I've found this year and probably over the last couple of years is that a lot of times uh, um, sports teams take their brand and the, the awareness and light buyers for granted. 
And so you have to um, focus on your brand, top level awareness, um, and look at what the non-customers or light buyers are doing because there's tremendous opportunity there and it's often neglected in the pursuit of the heaviest buyers. But the, there's a huge potential market of light buyers, people who maybe buy one, go to one show a, a year or two or three games a season. Don't neglect them. And when I think about the Apple Plus uh, deal with MLS, I wonder about the brand awareness and if that's going to have a detrimental effect to MLS going forward. So number four, how, how are we doing here so far? Uh, I think I'm coming along just nicely, I think. Uh, number four is about inflation, though. So we're going to talk about inflation, inflation bites, right? Um, I was telling my buddy Ed last night that I, I wonder if anybody's going to get the reality bites um, reference here. And I double down on it with the slide here. It was like, hello, you've reached the winner of our discontent. And that's Troy from Reality Bites. And if you don't know the movie, um, it's just like a classic 90 one. I don't even know if it was the best classic 90s movie, um, but it was one that came to mind. Because I also have a uh, a classmate of my friend. Uh, she now dresses just like, or a classmate of my fr well, my, my friend Ed's daughter. Uh, his middle daughter dresses had an outfit that looked just like the Empire Records uh, poster. And I was like, well, the '90s have returned. My moment in the sun is back. Um, and so that's what made me think about reality bites. Um, so that was yeah, long-winded way of saying absolutely nothing, but. What are we talking about here with inflation? Well, the first thing is, is that inflation is at about a 6% rate globally. Uh, that, that goes up or down a little bit, but that's been pretty consistent since the pandemic uh, began in 2020. Uh, we've seen supply chain issues drive this, uh, reduced workforce in some places. We've seen um, changes in buyer habits. There's been any number of reasons, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, all these things are driving inflation. So if you go and just take a global view, it's about 6%. And I know that it's different in every market. And um, the factors driving inflation from market to market are entirely different. But I wanted you to see that it is a global issue. It is something everybody is dealing with. It's not unique to one country or area. It is a global challenge. And this inflation has slowed down the global GDP. I talked about GDP of a couple countries at the very start, um, but around the world, the GDP has dropped down about 50% from 2022 to 1.6%. Uh, again, that's still growth, but it's a lot, lot slower uh, than we have become accustomed to. And so that means that we may see people tighten their they're spending up a little bit, or we might see people invest, invest their spending in different areas. We just need to consider it because, again, even if um, it's not a recessionary period, a slowdown of this nature in the economy is going to be felt by people, and that might make them change and think about different um, expen expenditures and different investments. Um, as an example of what inflation means for people. Right. Because I think that like sometimes the six percent or the GDP numbers, they can get kind of confused and kind of lost. And so what I did was I found an example. So a car repair in the U.S. in 2020 that was nine hundred dollars is now over a thousand dollars in 2022. And that's due to inflation. Uh, 
And I thought that was pretty um, a pretty telling number because that's something people understand. You know, um, something that was nine hundred dollars is now over a thousand. Uh, eggs maybe were two dollars a carton and now they're three, right? Um, we always see it, uh, especially in America, when at the gas station. I, I don't uh, because I, I don't drive a uh, gas powered car anymore, but uh, my wife tells me it's bad. Um, but, you know, these real world examples, just look at how they impact people because you have to, you know, where is that $900 car repair before um, you were budgeting a certain amount? Now, if it's over $1,000 or more, that's going to require you to change the way you think about that that repair for a lot of people. You know, so you keep these numbers in mind because this inflation thing is real. And the question people ask me always, is it that bad? And just like with the example of the car repair, here are some other numbers to give you some context of about inflation. In the UK, I've mentioned the cost of living crisis. Um, 20% of people, um, 20% increase in food, I'm sorry, uh, and 150% percent increase in power cost. Uh, in the U.S., we're seeing people on average have to spend $445 more a month on just living expenses. Um, in New Zealand, 400% increase in mission services. So these are people that are looking um, for assistance with just day-to-day things like food or clothing or other essential items. Uh, and the crazy thing with this is that it's across sectors of the economy is people that, uh, that that they've never seen before. And I've heard the same thing in America and I've heard it in other countries as well. Um, but because it's not all bad, France has the lowest in the EU, uh, but that's being tried because um, the cost of living and inflation uh, have been fought aggressively by the French government. Uh, but there seems to be limits even to what the French are doing. And now the French citizens are even starting to feel the impacts of um, inflation in a way that they haven't throughout this period of inflation across the world. Um, but it is still lower than the rest of the globe. Um, and, it, and even by lower, it's still up around 5%, 4 4.5%. So still a lot, but just not a lot compared to other countries where you're seeing 8 9 percent or more uh, of inflation. So as I promised, we were going to talk about some trade shows. And I love a trade show fancy notebook if I can get one. Um, most of them are not always that fancy anymore, but I do love some uh, the occasional piece of swag. I am not immune to, uh, to these things. Um, but let's look at the trade show numbers because, again, um, this goes in con- – in partnership with the lowering of business travel. This is going to go in context of a lot of the numbers we've looked at so far. Um, I wouldn't usually use this, but um, I had some conversations. I was talking to people. Uh, people were asking me about trade shows, like which shows I'm going to go to or which ones I find most valuable, uh, You know, what, all kinds of questions. And I looked at this. So um, this is an interesting one to me, at least, and it might not be for you. And if it isn't, um, you know, forgive me, uh, but our trade shows worth it. And what we're seeing is they can be great because you, you get direct contact with your audience, um, their networking opportunities, uh, competitor analysis, um, exposure and publicity. But on the other side, uh, they're expensive, right? Uh, the number 
for this one is 20000 And that's what an average company will spend to do a trade show. Um, the maximum reach that you're going to achieve at a trade show is limited. Um, often there's not a, the businesses don't feel like there's enough value for their leads. Um, and for me as a marketer, this one's the most challenging one is that you can't segment effectively. And by this, um, when I talk to people, it means that they can't necessarily tell if they're going to get people early in the buying cycle uh, who are completely out of the buying cycle or who are people are close to purchase decisions. You know, and, and that's a big challenge for everybody. It's that they don't necessarily um, know if they're going to be able to um, find the people they really need. Uh, and I believe that's a, a issue everybody has. So if all I get is a keychain, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that the trade shows are expensive. And the reason I looked at that $20,000 number is because if business travel is declining about 25% this year, uh, if people are frustrated because they can't necessarily target people uh, effectively using the trade shows, or they don't know if they're going to hit people at the right point in their buying cycle, um, if they don't know if they're going to see the decision makers, right, um, then it's going to become more and more problematic for get people to spend on trade shows. So they're expensive. There's also uh, the challenge of targeting. You know, again, if you don't know the right customers, if you don't know uh, are going to be there, if you don't know the people that you are going to be able to um, reach are there, uh, is there a way to be more effective in your targeting? Because, again, 25% of business travel, uh, decline in business travel uh, because of the cost of uh, inflation and expenses, uh, $20,000 on average to go to a trade show as a uh, vendor. Um, you want to make sure that you're maximizing your spending on any kind of marketing and business development activities. So you want them to be more targeted, give yourself, I mean, it's common sense to give yourself a better likelihood of success. Where is the value for attendees, right? Um, when I ask people and I ask people all the time, I go, what do you hope to get from attending this conference or this, this event? Um, you know, a lot. Most of the time, it's it's fairly common. Oh, I just hope to meet some people, but that's not flying with a lot of people, with a lot of buyers and decision makers anymore. They just networking alone is not necessarily going to be a reason to get for people to engage and go to uh, conferences or events because it's got to be more focused. Things are more expensive. The cost of travel is more expensive. There's real inflation. There's economic pressures. There's um, growth that still happening, but it's declining uh, how fast and how rapidly it's happening. Um, so there's got to be real value for people. Um, and here's the most damning thing about most of this. Decisions makers say that a lot of these conferences and events are irrelevant to them now, um, that the content is not necessarily valuable, um, that they don't necessarily find the right people there, um, and they find that um, a lot of times it's just a waste of time and energy. Uh, and this has been going on for years before the pan pandemic even began. The um, utility of, of conferences, trade associations, um, some of these large-scale events had been declining, going down and down and down. And so as inflation continues to bite, as business travel declines, 
Uh, these things are going to be p- things that people have to continue to think about because um, it's going to be much more difficult to get people to go. On the flip side, as I've talked about before, context and knowing where success comes from. If you think about the fact that people are not necessarily going to be tra- want to travel for big conferences or to big trade association meetings or um, to big gatherings because they not, aren't seeing the value, is there a way you can provide value locally? Can you create some sort of gathering or mixer or local offshoot of a trade association meeting that will provide value? That will get people together. That if you say you're going for the networking, it will be valuable to people. Um, can you do some things that will help people mimic some of the benefits they had? You know, net happy hours or networking events or um, providing services so that people can entertain clients that they might or prospects that they would see in another location at your venue. There's opportunities there. Um, So it's not a straight line. It's not good or bad. It's a little bit of both. And managing that and understanding how you can provide value um, gives you an opportunity to take advantage of the $20,000 or more that people might have budgeted for a particular conference that they don't necessarily, or or trade association event that they don't necessarily want to spend on now. Uh, You know, it just takes a, a, a little bit of a shifting of the lens. And again, any questions you have, just drop them in the Q&A and I will get to them a little bit later, uh, unless you're listening to this later on. And then, well, this is the benefit of listening live. So number six, the daily commute. This one was pretty interesting because as I was um, doing the slides for this recently, I recognized a, a... Um, or I saw a graph and it showed that in Washington, D.C., the metro had the sharpest decline in ridership of any area in the country. And I think it could have been the most significant drop in daily passengers of anywhere in the world. Um, and this had been something that had been coming up in a lot of the research projects I'd been working on and a lot of the marketing projects with uh, organizations around the world. Um, so the daily commute, and where have all the people gone? Uh, they definitely, at least in D.C., are driving. Uh, but let's look at this. So what's with the traffic? What's with the traffic? Jeez, Dave. Uh, spell check next time. Uh, D.C., the greatest drop in metro ridership potentially in the world. We're talking about 60 or 70 percent down. Um, 53 percent of the jobs in the D.C. area are can be done remotely. And that's what's driving a lot of this. This is not unusual. It's just that D.C. has the highest percentage of jobs that can be done remotely of any place in the country. In London, peak travel is down about 27 percent. Uh, that's the number here. Right. The daily commute in London is down. Peak travel is down 27 percent. And I don't pick I'm not picking on London because I got other numbers that show just exactly how bad it is in Boston. It's down over 40 percent. And that is on both the T and on the commuter rails. A lot of traffic. Um, The Long Island Railroad, New Jersey Transit are off about 50 percent from peak ridership in 2019. But on the other side, Sydney has a new rail service that looks to be um, able to boost the traffic into the C, the CB, the CD, the Central Business District, the CBD, uh, about a third. So what does all this mean? 
it means you have to understand where people are coming from, right? Uh, what is the impact of the changing traffic patterns? Um, one thing you want to consider is if people are, instead of taking public transportation, are they driving? And if they're driving, what does it mean? Um, on average, the average commute has gone up about 20 to 30% in time. And it the number, when I tell you that, won't necessarily seem like a lot, but it comes with some partnerships here. Uh, so the number that that adds is about five minutes or so to the average commute. Um, but what has happened with along with like slightly longer or well, 20 to 30 percent, but five minutes longer in commute is a higher level of stress. There's more traffic on the road. There's more people. So it increases the incidences of road rage. Um, it makes the driving more stressful. And what it does is it changes the decision making dynamic that people are making about whether or not they're going to drive. They're going to go from if they live in the suburbs or in a uh, commuter town. Um, or, you know, just a certain neighborhood, whether or not they're going to drive to downtown to see a show or to go to a game or to go to a concert. Um, are they going to just stay close to home? Are they going to scrap the whole thing, right? Because they, because it's too, um, the experience is so negative. So that's, not, that's one of the impacts. The incentives is like, how can we incentivize people to use public transportation or um to take the time to come downtown. One way that the, the city, the District of Columbia, the city of DC is working on is they're going to make uh, riding Metro uh, buses free for inside the city limits starting on July 1st. Um, other cities have looked at less like lowering the cost of bus and public transportation. Um, there could be incentives uh, through different ways of getting people to come to your shows earlier. There is a the Strathmore in DC. Uh, actually, it's in Bethesda. Uh, they open their bars um, 90 minutes earlier. They offer free parking, um, and they offer a couple different um, incentives to get people to come to shows there. Um, and then, but what's gonna? What does all this mean to the impulse buyers? And that's the big thing to think about as these commuter habits change. Is what does it mean to those impulse purchases that people might be making? Uh, you know, a lot of people were relying on a heavy amount of walk-up traffic, especially sports teams, uh, baseball being particular, like the walk-up gate being a big number to pay attention to. Um, are we going to be limited in the amount of impulse buying and day of game purchases that we are going to can expect or hope for? Um, because as again, peak traffic goes down, there's less people in the city core uh, just to start with. But then if you have to, if it's much more um, inconvenient to drive, that may change your dynamic, the dynamic of whether or not you're going to go into the city to go to a game or go to a concert or go to a show um, and it can work both ways because if you're a venue that's outside of the city core, maybe people don't want to do that either. So think about how it's going to impact your impulse buyers because community habits have changed and this has changed the foot traffic patterns. Uh, this has changed a lot of things that people are having to deal with as far as what their expectations of their target market are. So number seven. I don't feel like any of the numbers so far have been nearly as depressing as this one is about to be, um, because this one highlights a lot of um, bad trends. And I promise that from here we will uh, 
we will just go a lot, lot, lot up. But this one's going to be probably the toughest one to get through for everybody um, listening before and after this. But it's uh, the ugly attendance numbers. And if I just get you in the door. So how do I get people off? The, what about getting people off the couch? Yeah. Um, let's look at this. This is going to be rough. Um, eight. That's the number here for this one. And that's the number of years in a row that college football attendance has declined. And you might say, well, who cares about college football? I am in um, a symphony or I work on Broadway or I am in professional sports or I am in concerts, whatever. But eight, college football declined for eight straight years. Um, 30,517. That's the AFL's average attendance for this past season. Uh, and that may be great for some of you, but it's the lowest in 26 years for the AFL. Um, since 2007, Major League Baseball has seen annual declines in attendance. And um, again, those have only been, excel those are continue to trend downward. The city of Melbourne, Australia, their theater district seeing shows are down 20% or more. Uh, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra sits at 40% capacity, down from 61% before the pandemic. Broadway is off about 50% less, or it's about 50% less people uh, a show. Um, big shows are doing well. A lot of the other shows are really, really struggling. The Met Opera is at 61% capacity now, uh, down from 75% previously. Um, but I got a couple of good ones for you. I didn't want to make it like so bad. Um, the NBL in Australia, their, their basketball league is up 21%. It was a huge success. Um, in the UK, real football, it's up slightly, right? The attendance is held strong. It's even grown a little bit, two, 3%. And then a hundred million. This is the number of concert tickets that Live Nation reports was selling in um, this past year. So not all bad. Um, but a lot of bad stuff. And I, I really belabor this and or um, point a little bit because I, this is probably the most point bullets I put on a slide um, because I want you to um, think about things. You know, uh, I, I am a jerk for that last slide. Right. Uh, and I'm sorry. But so it goes. The first thing though, is I want you to know you're not alone. Everybody's struggling. Right. Um, you know, to a great extent. It's a challenging time out there. So I wanted everybody to see that. Like it's not if you're struggling, it's not just you. And if you are doing well, don't take it for granted and don't rest on your laurels because it can be easy come, easy go if you're not careful. Um, what got you here won't get you where you need to go. Right. One of the challenges that I've definitely seen over the last year or two has been that people were in such a rush to to get reopened. Um and I don't necessarily even think it's anybody's fault. Um, it was just sort of the inclinations. Like we, we work so, so hard to get shows back open, uh, events going back on, uh, that we didn't get an opportunity to say how do we be, how can we be more successful now? Um, you know, we there was a rush, a mad rush, the V was the V-shaped recovery that was going on, um, and things came back fairly quickly, and then they didn't. You know, and it was a short-lived thing. And now we have to be careful of relying on the old tactics and the old way of doing things because the world has changed, right? Um, 
really you should be doing market research and understanding being in your market understanding what people want constantly um, but the things that were working before the pandemic are not necessarily going to work in the world where the pandemic is still ongoing uh, but people are moving on with their lives and getting out and doing things where the economy may still be growing but growth is slowed um, where cost of living and inflation is really causing an issue for people you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to approach your business from a different angle. So what got you here? It won't get you where you need to go next. And how do you figure out where you do need to go? You have to ask better questions, right? You can't just uh, uh, rely on, well, how can we fill the house on Saturday? Uh, let's offer a discount. You need to look at the systemic things, like why are people either coming or not coming to our events? Why are people not coming into the city core why are people you know reluctant to spend for a premium seat maybe they're they've downgraded to a balcony seat or something you gotta like dig deeper you gotta ask yourself you know what people value now you know why people are getting together at your shows as opposed to doing something else or why are people going somewhere else to instead of to you so you need to ask better questions but again you're not alone, but you'd have to know that what got you here won't get you where you need to go next. Okay, number eight. Let's talk about return to office policies. Return to work part policies. Get to work, you lazy bumps. Okay, get to work, you lazy bumps. Hmm. A blank slate. Hmm. Ah, the black slide was symbolic <laughs> and it's symbolic of the idea that there was only one company that really nobody has this whole this thing figured out. Number one, that's the number here is that is the only come Tesla is the only company that had a return to work policy and stuck with it. Um, I'm guessing now Twitter is following along, but Tesla was the only one that had a real strategy that it stuck with. And they said people are coming back to the office. Um, and if you don't like it, you can leave. Everybody else has kind of like said, uh, I don't know. I don't know about this. Um, we saw Apple started out with three or uh, three day work week. Then they dropped back to two. Then they held off on implementing any of that. Um, it, it's been a little bit of all over the place. And we see that consistently around the world. And I don't necessarily know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. I know that there was a lot of wasted time on commutes and there is still a lot of wasted time on needless meetings. Um, you know, so what does it mean? I, I like a lot of stuff. I think it depends. Um, but again, keep this number in mind. It's DC once again, with the 53% remote um, jobs, the, the ability of more than half the jobs in DC to be done remotely is probably not unusual. 53% I know is the highest, but it's probably not unrealistic to say that 30 or 40% of jobs um, anywhere in the world can be done remotely. Um, even a lot of team, you know, ticket sales jobs or um, team-based or theater-based jobs can be largely done remotely. Um, you, you can never do the job of like customer service, uh, customer service at an event remotely, but some of the jobs like sales and marketing, um, branding, they can all be done. Uh, you know, even customer service uh, when it's not necessarily tied to a specific event can 
be done at home. So just keep in mind that this number as we move forward. At SNAP, it's 80% of the work week. So four out of five days. Um, everyone is different. That's the big thing to remember here. Just keep in mind, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to this. Anybody who tells you that it's going to be all one way or another, I can guarantee you this, they are lying to you because nobody knows for sure. Again, it depends. So how do we deal with this uncertainty? This is probably the one I think that people struggle with a lot. I think maybe all of these numbers people struggle with a lot, but we're dealing with uncertainty here. Um, people want... And I, I understand this impulse too, is they want a bit more a degree of control and certainty now, um, but there seems to be less and less some days. Um, we start with, let's do our research. We don't want to make any assumptions, right? That, if anything, this whole presentation is a uh, love letter to research and just looking at numbers and thinking through numbers and trying to get some context around numbers and ideas and actions and behaviors. Don't make assumptions, do some research. Even if it's just take, picking up the phone and calling a few people, um, doing a quick survey. Uh, I'm a fan of focus groups, anything you can do to understand the market better and what people are really dealing with. It will help you market and sell your tickets better. We've all, always done this this way. Uh, going back to the previous number, um, what got us here won't get us to the next destination. Uh, we've always done it this way is deadly right now um, because again no one knows anything for sure still if they didn't know it in 2020 they don't have any better grasp on it than 2022 and i'm gonna guess that in 2023 people are still going to be making it up as they go so be, be fluid change 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 if i was really good the way i did the reality bites thing back there i would have put a picture of adam duritz from counting crows here um as another nod to the 90s, but I, I did. So um, you're great. Be grateful for that because that probably would have been uh, a little too much 90s for everybody. Um, but that's, you know, keep in mind this return to the office thing has created uh, a great deal of uncertainty that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So number nine, number nine, intentions and behaviors. And what I've taken to telling people is that demographics, is like a, is like looking at your astrological table. My birthday's in November, so I'm a Scorpio. Use that for what you will. Um, I try to get people to focus on behaviors, and uh, and this is what this is all about. So I want you to look at the intention and the actions. Um, we'll start with this number, which is zero. That that little transition was a little bit much. I probably put too many fonts on that one. Um, but the number to start with is zero. And that's how much different intention people have of saying they're going to go to a show, sport, concert in 2022 or, or in 2023 compared to 2022. That means if they're if you're going, you're going now, right? That doesn't mean that like there's a bunch of pent up demand for sports, um, concert shows, and entertainment. Uh, the people who are going are going. Um, is that more or less than it was before? Well, the numbers say less. Um, People are inclined to go, um, but if you're going, you're going, and that's um, can be pretty challenging for people to consider. Um, so the big thing I'm trying to get across to people these days is don't think about competition. 
think about alternatives. Uh, I took a walk around. I was downtown for the Lakers game against the Wizards the other the the other morning or not the other morning the other afternoon. Sorry, it was Sunday afternoon. Um, DC's downtown has been pretty decimated by the pandemic and the impacts of the pandemic. So this number that I'm going to give you um, is pretty important because I think if you walk down any downtown corridor or through any any downtown area. Or or stadium, arena, uh, theater area, you're likely to see this number or more in alternatives. And so what I counted when I was walking around D.C. Um, in about the f- five or six blocks around uh, Capital One Arena was I saw at least 40 different alternatives for my attention, besides going to the Lakers game that I had tickets for. When I was in Boston, I was walking. I took a walk around Fenway Park in the area there. Uh, I counted at least 50. When I went to Nats Park uh, or an Audi Field because I wanted to go to uh, the Blue Jacket, again, 30, 40, 50 different alternatives. Um, we're fighting a battle for people's attention and their spending. It's not about the competition. It's about the alternatives. If somebody's picking something else, why are they picking that? You know, what are they spending their time, their money, their attention on? So think about the alternatives and think about how you can fill that need for them. Um, There is a great podcast that I did with Ruth Hart. And Ruth Hart talked about the jobs to be done theory that she works on with the Clayton Christensen Institute. Uh, And it's really about what role do you play for your customers and your buyers? It's not about you. Um, This is my marketing training kicking in. Market orientation and being a good marketer is about empathy. And it's about understanding that I am a moron when it comes to what people are going to buy. But what I am really great at is research. And I tell people this because what I think people want or, or need or will buy is likely wrong. And the assumption that I know is dangerous unless I do the research to tell me what people want and need. And so you need to think about alternatives and you need to understand people so that you can understand why they're choosing some choosing these other things over you. You can't come up with it yourself. You got to go out and find people and talk to them about it. So alternatives, not competition. And you got to know the market. So along with these things of zero and if people are going, they're going. I found some other numbers that are interesting because where are people going to do things or what are they going to do? Because we saw that people are going to take vacations. Uh, we saw that travels up. We saw all kinds of stuff. Um, people are, how much more likely are they to travel internationally? Two times more likely. Um, and I'm going to go deeper here because, you know, America's a big country. So I started here. Um, people are two times more likely to travel more than a thousand miles to see family, to see friends or see a new destination. Um, They're more likely to go to the movies, 25% more inclined to go to the movies. And actually, I'm going to Miami this weekend, uh, and the city center, uh, I think it's the CMX, uh, like lounge type city. It's a freaking great movie theater. If you got one of those in your town, go check it out. Um, But 
25% people, people are 25% more likely to go to the movies. And we've seen that the experience of going to the movies has improved a little bit. I went to the see James Bond at one of those things where the seats rumble and they blow the air on you. It was pretty great. Um, but 25% more likely to go to the movies. That's interesting to keep in mind. Um, and they're 15% less likely to go to a museum. What does that mean? It means, again, you can't figure out what people are going to do without asking them. You have to go talk to them. You can, but you can do something. All right. So let's let's look at this thing. Three things here which you can do. Um, you can increase the purchase intent. Right. When I gave you the number zero, I didn't do it as like some kind of like, well, well everything's hopeless. I wanted you to recognize that, like, hey, look, you can increase the purchase intent. You can raise the level of uh, brand awareness because then you can increase the likelihood that people are going to go to the theater or sports or a concert over going to the movies or going to something, um, you know, something else. So increase the purchase intent. You have to make, focus on reaching more people. Um, a statistic I found in some research this year was that 95% of buyers aren't in the market right now. That means 95% of people aren't in the market um, at any one time. You have to know that like there's a certain amount of brand building that needs to be done. So you want to focus on reaching more people, right? I talked about light buyers earlier. Focus on the light buyers and take advantage of the trends. If people are traveling internationally and you are seeing a lot of international travelers, don't take for granted that they know. Create some kind of program that will allow you to get in front of people. Um, if you are seeing a lot of tourists that come to your town from miles away, don't assume that they know everything they want to go see and do. Make sure that you're getting in front of people, right? Uh, if you talk to my wife about the last trip we took to London before the pandemic in 2018, <clears throat> and uh, you would ask her what was the most fun thing she did. It was something she didn't plan on, on doing, and that would have been going to Wembley Stadium to see Tottenham Hotspur versus Chelsea. Um, so take advantage of some of these trends. Like people are more likely to inter travel internationally. They're more likely to travel to see family. Um, if they're not going to a museum, how can you get them to come to a show? You know, think about the trends. And those are just two that I listed um, or three. There's tons more. Look for the ones that matter. Home stretch now. Number 10, the metaverse and beyond. Uh, and this is one was where I was going to turn on the thing and I had my avatar, but I screwed that image up. Uh, but dude, where are my legs? Because in the Facebook metaverse, um, the avatars have no legs uh, for whatever reason. But avatar for real, right? This is real avatar. Um, 10.7 million people attended Fortnite concerts last year. Uh, that's a pretty big number for something that is a relatively new way of engaging people. Uh, it's projected that 25% of the population are going to spend an hour or more uh, in a virtual world by 2026. Um, and that might seem crazy um, because it, it talks about the metaverse. But if you think about the fact that like Fortnite or uh, Roblox or even FIFA count as metaverse, then it doesn't seem so crazy at all because um, – if I'm playing my son in FIFA, I can spend an hour easy playing him. So I could see where that number would be really, really likely to come true. There were 2.19 million headsets uh, shipped to APAC countries in 2022. And that's up 60.8% um, from 2020, was it 2021. 
right? Um, and that just shows that there's adaption going on. Um, the video games is 195 billion in sales. That's 5% more than in 2022. There are 3.7 or 3.07 billion users of video games in 2023. Uh, that's a 5.6% increase. Uh, the growth is in Asia, the Middle East, Africa, and Latin America. Subscriptions on video games are going to make up 13% of the revenue, that, and that number is growing. And that means that people are buying subscriptions still, like to have access to different games or different value inside the game. The average age of a video game player is 33 years old. That really destroys the idea that it's just for kids. And this one was really cool. 45 is greater than 18. That means there's more video game players that are over the age of 45 than there are beneath, uh, younger than 18. 70% of these gamers play on their phone. Um, and the most popular genres of games is puzzles, 65%. Uh, if you played Wordle this morning, you're in that 65%. And almost half of these people are women. And why are pe the, the interesting thing is, why are people playing these things? Uh, joy is 93%. St mental stimulation, 91%, which says a lot about the other stuff going on in their lives. Uh, and stress relief is 89%. Uh, obviously, they've never been to my house when I've been playing Cormac in FIFA because the stress level goes up uh, with some pretty intense FIFA battles. 83% uh, play with others, and that's up from the first time I looked at this number in 2020. And 77% of parents play with kids, which I guess, like, since I've referenced it two or three times, uh, it, it seems to be true. It seems to be true. And what does this mean to us? It means this is alternate ways, because my slide is gone, uh, alternate ways of adding value, right? Uh, people are engaging content in different ways. Uh, this could be a brand building opportunity for you. Uh, this could be a way for you to um, take some of those distinctive brand assets and use them in a virtual world. Um, maybe you can have, you know, some sort of uh, part of your experience that lives inside of the the virtual world. I mean, it already happens with video games like uh, FIFA or MLB The Show or NBA 2K, where um, in a small way, you get the opportunity to experience the game day experience, right? Because the uh, these, these interactions uh, are pretty lifelike with the chants and the cheering and the weather. Um, you know, think differently because people are really playing uh, – video games they're really in they're actually really in the metaverse but it's different than what we've been led to believe uh it it's a much more mature audience it is a audience that will spend money um and it is an audience that is growing so let's look at the action items here um because ideas without action are worthless so i want you to put these ideas to work and i give you three three things three simple things to deal with uh, first thing I want you to always understand is, and this is probably something that I belabor, it's understand your market. Have you done any research? Do you have access to any research? Um, things like, are, are your guests coming from the same groups as before? You know, what's going on with people? What do they value now? You know, how has that value shifted? You know, how are they being impacted by inflation? Um, commuter trend. Um, uh, so then we look at the trends, right? Uh, but first, do your research. Then we'll look at the trends, right? What are the commuter trends? 
what are the travel trends, right? Um, what are people planning on doing? What are their intentions? You know, uh, has there been a shift in, you know, work from home or hybrid working or remote working in your town? Look at these trends. Uh, take advantage of them because they will lead you towards opportunities. Um, and think about the four P's, right, of marketing. Product, price, place, and promotion. Four P's, product, price, place, and promotion. Is your product the right one to meet the needs of the market now? You know, are you selling it and promoting it in the right way? Have you priced it effectively in this world that we're dealing with now? Your prices don't matter to your customers. Does the price reflect the value that people get? And are you promote are, are you putting it in the right places? Are, are you distributing your products and your services and your experiences in the right way? You know, are, are you limiting it because it makes sense? Are you expanding where it's distributed? You know, what's going on? So think through those four I those four P's um, and check off and see if they fit your strategy now and they fit what your customers will or won't do. So then for me, go deeper with me. Uh, and I say, boom. So uh, that's just for fun and giggles. Nothing more there. Uh, but there's a few ways that you can work with me. And there's some things I have actually not. Uh, the ASD research is assisted self-directed research. And that's brand new um, because I've done a bunch of research projects with people this last 18 months. Uh, I've really been super excited to understand people's businesses more. Uh, help people see the market differently. Um, but so assisted self-directed research is a way for people to get some of the benefit without having to spend all this money uh, on me to do it yourself. And this is um, going to be instead of a twenty-five dollars or $30,000 project like it would be with most people, it's going to be $1,500. Um, and there's a couple extra options. I haven't announced it on uh, in the newsletter or on my website yet. So the people who are listening to this webinar or attending it live and in person, uh, you're going to be the first people to get it. And I'm not going to post it on my website until uh, after the first of the year. So the assisted self-directed research um, is $1,500. And it's me guiding you through the process of doing your own marketing research. Um, and there's a couple of different options there. Um, I'm going to do a sell more seats workshop in New York, London, and Sydney. Uh, the dates I'm working out on uh, for each of them. Uh, but again, email me, daviddavewakeman.com, and I will tell you all the details because, again, I'm not posting these things on my website until after the first of the year. But because you have come to the Numbers to Know um, or listening to the Numbers to Know workshop or webinar, I'm going to let you have first crack at getting into the Sell More Seats workshop. Uh, it's one day. It'll be filled with action items. Um, there'll be some homework before and after. Um, these workshops tend to be the best things that I do because it's a chance for everybody to work together and draw ideas from all over the place. Um, the third thing is, is like you can always take part in the strategic consulting program. That's just my normal uh, consulting work. Um, again, daviddavewakeman.com. Um, and then there's uh, some private in-person trainings and workshops. Uh, that's where the whiteboard workshop sits. Uh, the language of the sale training has always sat. Um, there's four or five programs. And again, daviddavewakeman.com, you can work with me. Uh, you also, hopefully you'll keep in touch with me. So you can send me an email, 
That's my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Visit my website, DaveWakeman.com. Make sure you get the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's TalkingTickets.Substack.com. Uh, and make sure you connect with me on the LinkedIn. Let me know what you thought of the recording of the webinar by sending me a note. It's my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Check out my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. Lots of exciting things coming up in 2023. I have finally had a chance to put pen to paper and come up with some new ideas. Uh, you are going to get a chance to see me all over the place this year. Um, free and fee, uh, virtual, in person, all kinds of stuff. But make sure you check out DaveWakeman.com and find out what I'm up to. Uh, I will be in Seattle at Intix. Uh, the 23rd to the 26th of January, I will be there with my friends at Booking Protect, who you should be checking out at BookingProtect.com. They are now a cover genius company, uh, and that means that we have even better tools to deliver for you. That means that there is um, more support, more ideas for ways that you can use refund protection to drive um, business for yourself, but also to give customers what they want. They have some really great data and some really interesting case studies and all kinds of really cool ways for you to continue to deliver world-class customer service to your guests. So make sure you check them out at Intix in Seattle. Um, as I always remind you, get the Talking Tickets newsletter, talkingtickets.substack.com and the Business of Value newsletter. Friday's Talking Tickets, Sunday's Business of Value. That's businessofvalue.substack.com. Get them both, why don't you? Uh, if you like the podcast, make sure you rate it, review it, and share it. All these things help. Like I said, 2022, I've seen the podcast audience start to rebound towards where we were in 2019. About 12 or 13% growth, I think, is where it's going to end up coming down on, uh, which is pretty good. Still... Just like the numbers I talked about, not 2019 numbers yet, but we're getting there and I'm going to continue to try to give you some really great conversations, some really great ideas to help you recover and get your business growing again. So pass it along, rate it and review it. And if you need me, send me an email. It's daviddavewakeman.com. As I say every time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing your ideas. Thank you for doing all this stuff. Until next time, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. <laughs>